Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between. Do you have a bucket list? I don't. I actually have never even really thought about it all that much. But on today's show, Laura Carney discovered her father's bucket list years after he died and how she achieved the items on that bucket list, changed the way she lived her life, helped to alleviate a lot of the depression she had felt throughout her life, and shifted how she thought about living and dying. Here's today's episode. Welcome, Laura, to Life, Death, and the Space Between. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So your new book, My Father's List, How Living My Dad's Dreams Set Me Free, is about how you found your father's bucket list. Can you tell us what happened to your father and how you discovered his list? Yeah, um, so my dad was killed by a distracted driver, um, a teenager making a phone call. Uh, when I was 25, and he was 54, um, I had just moved to New York for my first uh, magazine internship. I was hoping to become a journalist in New York right after college. Um, and uh, it was very sudden and at the time really devastating, and it changed my life. Um, it changed how I experienced my 20s for certain. Um, and I didn't find his bucket list until I was 38. My brother actually found it when he was moving into his first house. and. When I discovered it, I had just gotten married, actually to the same person that my dad met that summer that he died. He met him. He met my husband five days before he died, um, and it, you know, again changed my life completely, but in a totally new way. Deciding to finish his list for him. So how did I have a lot of questions here? One, <laughs> I'm very curious about the bucket list and and what was on it, and obviously your book is about that. But I want to start with maybe did it change your grief process? And what did that look like 
Um, I mean, you lived 13 years without having this list, and then you discover this list. How did that shift how you were grieving then, or did it? Um, well, you know, when I was a teenager, I was diagnosed with depression and ADHD. And I think probably when I was first experiencing grief after my dad died, I was very afraid I might sink into a depression. Um, I really equated the sadness of that almost like in a with a pathological diagnosis, like almost mm. with a definite, that was my definition, because that was my experience. It, I had had so many times in my life where I did succumb to a, a depressive episode that I thought they were sort of the same. And I think that probably was part of why I, I sort of built up armor around me for many years. Um, I, I don't think it was all that though. I think it was also the traumatic way that he died because I think when someone dies uh, with any kind of violence or suddenness, you know, even like a sudden heart attack, I've heard this can happen. It, it scares you and, and it makes you much more aware of your own um, you know, your own mortality. And then mm -hmm. this, this could be just as easily happen to you. So I think right. that was the other effect of it was that uh, I sort of started going into denial that this had happened because even thinking about it being a part of life period, much less my life was too scary for me. So to find his list, you know, right away, knowing in my heart that I needed to do this for him, um, that is already flipping the script a little bit because here was a thing he wrote with meaning, with intention, you know, a way to celebrate his own life. He wrote it when he was 29, when I was a baby. And that I think is almost the opposite of a person who dies uh, unintentionally because of, at the hands of somebody else. So already I was sort of changing the way I was processing what had happened. And then as I started doing the items, um, you know, so many of them uh, just yanked me out of my comfort zone and pulled me out of this armor I'd been wearing. It just, I had to, I had to put it down. You know, I had to have vulnerability to connect with the people who were helping me to do this. And that gradually was now helping me connect with my inner self. And I really believe that that was how I started to finally move past the trauma and process the grief I was still carrying. So with the bucket list, I mean, you said your dad was 29 when he wrote it, when you were mm -hmm. born, how, and he was 54, 54, 50, 54 yep. when he died. How many things had he accomplished? How many, how long was the bucket list and how many things had he accomplished on this bucket list? Uh, there are 60 items. He accomplished five and he marked one as having failed at. Mm. What were the items that he had accomplished? Uh, he did a comedy monologue in a nightclub. I think he'd be especially proud of that one. So I feel like I need to say that one first. Um, he helped his parents uh, enjoy their retirement. He owned an impressive record collection. Uh, he went to a World Series game. He was uh, interviewed on the radio. And then the sixth one, the one he felt he'd failed at was pay my dad back $1,000 plus interest. So I imagine my grandfather died before he could do that. Okay. So he had had this bucket list for some time and hadn't really moved substantially forward on it. I mean, terrible at math, but small percentage. <laughs> I know that much. Too, it's okay. Right. I, I'm, I'm much more in the humanities side of things. Um, where, so you find this list and what do you do with it? How do you decide? I mean, how, I'm not sure how old you are now, but in the time 
from then until now, you've accomplished everything on the list. I have. Yeah, I finished it in December. Okay. And I was 38 when we found it. Right. Um, what did I do with it? Uh, my brother held on to it for another couple of weeks because he wanted to give it to me at his wedding uh, for standing up there with him. Um, and then he gave it to me framed and I brought it home and hung it on the wall and I kind of just wrote it down in my computer and I just started checking off the items and, uh, I knew immediately that I needed to do it. Um, it was really a decision unlike any, any other decision I'd ever made, except maybe moving to New York and saying yes to marry my husband. Those are the only two I can compare it to because it was a feeling of, you know, I need to do this. You know, this is like a like a calling kind of kind of feeling. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? A spiritual calling. Mm -hmm. So talk talk us through some of the things on the list because some of the I mean you don't you don't touch on everything in the book. Um, you really talk about what I think some are some of the more difficult ones. Some were, you know, doable from a emotional pers some were more challenging from an emotional perspective some were more yeah. challenging from a logistical perspective how did you approach some of these items in terms of how you were going to accomplish them um starting out with it the first thing i did was the running item because i was already a runner i was already a marathon runner so i had already signed up for the la marathon anyway um, and I wanted to do it to raise funds for Girls on the Run, which is a charity that helps girls develop confidence. And uh, so I thought that, well, it's the first one I'll do is run 10 miles straight, which I assumed meant just running without stopping to walk. Um, mm. and, and the one thing I sort of forgot about was, oh, I might have to use the bathroom during those 10 miles. And, um, you know, it, it, as embarrassing as it sounds, I... I, I couldn't do anything about that. So I sort of wet my pants a little bit. <laughs> and So and, you really took it like as literal as it was. Like he oh, says yeah. 10 miles without stopping, you were going to run 10 miles. Yeah, but, but it was like when that happened, um, that was sort of now starting a trend for all of the list items. Because I think a big part of what my, I, I really do believe this in my heart, that my dad's spirit wanted for me uh, was to learn how to fail. Um, I think he wanted me to learn how to be okay with that, how, how to stop taking. I mean, that's how our relationship was when he was alive, that he was always helping me to stop taking myself so seriously. And, you know, with the armor I'd built up and not dealing with the feelings, I really was doing that. I was living through my mask. You know, I thought I was like this important mm -hmm. magazine editor, you know, that was my life. And I was pressuring myself all the time to be like everybody else. So, you know, certainly as I was literally running down Rodeo Drive with urine down my legs and there's all these men around me, I do not look like anybody else. <laughs> and it was this big wake up call. Like, it's okay. It doesn't matter. You know, right. just keep going. And, right. you know, there, uh, the skydiving list item a few months later, I threw up in midair and then I was going to be on TV like that because I, I used to like, I would combine the items as much as I could. So that day I was also checking off speak to a TV audience. Um, and, and that's just my dad's humor. You know, it's like, okay, basically what, what was starting to happen for me was I was learning to laugh at myself again. And I was developing a really strong sense of faith because I knew as a person with ADHD diagnosed as a teenager, I shouldn't be able logistically to figure all this stuff out. And yet I could, you know, one day in the first year I sat down with my Google calendar and I just mapped it out. Here's how I'm going to do them all. 
And I wanted to take four years because the first item said he hoped to live until the year 2020. Then of course, COVID happened. So I couldn't take four years and ended up taking six years instead. But even that is, again, coping with failure, adjusting, being flexible, being resilient and learning. Sometimes the things that we view as loss are just um, a detour. Mm -hmm. So how old would he have been if he lived until 2020? Um, he would have been, let me think for a second, 71. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So, okay. So the first one is run 10 miles straight. Um, and then it's swim the width of a river. Mm -hmm. Skydive at least once, mm -hmm. which talk about facing a fear, huh? <laughs> Actually, I don't have too much of a problem with heights. But it was it was scary. Was it your yeah. husband who had someone had a problem? Yeah, with Stephen, my husband, he really was was nervous about that one. He okay. doesn't like heights too much. Okay. But he didn't. Did he do it with you? No, yeah. no. And that one you combined. So so he wanted you to be on TV. So how did you go about combining different different bucket list items? It would just sort of come to me um, similar to writing the book. Sometimes when I was writing the book, I felt almost like I was channeling something like I was the, my words were better than I was used to, like, mm. like almost like my dad and I were writing it together. Mm -hmm. uh, and and things would just come to me like, you know, I think probably the one that combined the most things was visit San Diego, uh, go sailing by myself, play golf in the 70s a few times, you know, it was like, if it made sense in the destination, then that I would do it there. I mean, San Diego is really known for sailing. Um, sometimes the travel destinations, though, were just like tr just travel. Um, after a while, people started asking me, you know, oh, you're going to New Orleans. What's that for? What else are you doing there? Because they were so used to me combining things. And I said, oh, just a visit. Just New, <laughs> just New Orleans. So number chapter five here is talk with the president. How did that come about? Those this is some of these are pretty big bold yeah. bucket list items. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Yeah, uh, you know, and, and each chapter, um, so each chapter has the title of the most important bucket list item for that particular part of the story, but I also like somehow got surfing in that chapter too. Um, but uh, talk with the president happened because so very early on, I, I like to refer to it as beginner's luck, which I think happens to people with any new endeavor. 
um, I started getting interviews. Like I was on Inside Edition. I was on Fox 5 New York for this project I had taken on, partly because I worked for Good Housekeeping magazine. So I had an article published with them. And someone watched my interview. They saw me talking about wanting to meet the president and they sent me an email and they said, hey, if any president will do, you should know that Jimmy Carter still teaches Sunday school most Sundays of the year. And ultimately, I decided that Jimmy Carter would do because he was president when my dad wrote the list in 1978. And I wrote to the Carter wow. Center. Talk about a serendipitous situation. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wrote to the Carter Center. Um, I found out uh, where I should stay. And then I found out that hotel was booked um, for a couple different weekends that August. And, and the woman I was talking to at the Carter Center even said, you know, President Carter's 93, like it behooves you to come down here as, as soon as you can. I think he had just passed out like a ha at a Habitat for Humanity site that summer. So they were a little concerned. Um, so uh, I went down there really with no guarantee that I was going to get to talk to him. Um, I found out a way to make sure I would at least get into the Sunday school because even that sometimes they send people to a different building and they watch on a TV. So I didn't even know if I would definitely be in his proximity, but I knew I would be in the room due to a, a, the intervention of another friend. So by the time we got down there, I had convinced my husband to go. He knew we would be in the church, but we had no guarantee we'd actually talk to him. And what eventually happened was, again, a lot of serendipitous moments. Um, I really wanted to go and hike Stone Mountain because it was where it was basically the only list item, the only list item destination my dad had been to. Uh, even though Georgia wasn't on the list, the, you know, talk with the president was, it happened to be in Georgia. My mom went to her graduate school there and she had brought my dad and they had, they had all these great pictures on the top of Stone Mountain. So I insisted that my husband and I climb it and like recreate these shots. And because we did it exactly when we did at sunset, we got to the hotel, again, not the one they told me to go to, a totally different one. But we got there at 11 o'clock at night, exactly when one of Jimmy Carter's biographers was checking in. And I started a conversation with him. And then we were talking for three hours in the parking lot all about his hero since he was 12 years old, President Carter, who I now only know things about because I've been binging on Jimmy Carter documentaries for two weeks. Right, right. I hope you've enjoyed the video and podcast so far. Please consider supporting Life, Death, and The Space Between on Patreon at Dr. Amy Robbins. You can donate any amount that you feel comfortable donating. Also, we are actively looking for sponsors. So if you're interested, please reach out to us at dramyrobbins.com. I really appreciate any support you can give. It was, it was enough for him to be impressed with my interest and knowledge. And he kept making jokes like, oh, I'm sure he already knows you're here, don't you think? Wink, wink. And then like we ran into the same guy the next day. And, and basically, I was starting to get the impression, I think this man is going to put in a good word for me. But he didn't come right out and say it. But by the time we got to the church that Sunday, he was sitting right next to President Carter. And his name is Art Milnes. And he's actually like a speechwriter for prime ministers in Canada. Um, and by the time this, the Sunday school lesson was over, and I walked to the front of the church to take a picture with President Carter, I was able to have a few words with him. And you're not really supposed to do that. They actually instruct you at the beginning, don't talk to him. <laughs> like, he'll gladly take a picture with you, but there's hundreds of people in here, you know, like moving right. along. Right. I mean, what's so amazing as you're telling these stories and as you as you go through the book is 
how it feel, it really did feel like a partnership between you and your dad and how many of these experiences felt like they were divinely guided in some way. I don't know if that's how it felt to you as you were experiencing them, but certainly like this experience. Um, and I believe there were others too that just seemed like, how did this chain of events occur that allowed this to happen next? Yeah, it would be enough. Enough would happen that it was undeniable to me and, and it was undeniable to whoever was with me. And I think that's now that you say that it's a really interesting point, because I think that's a crucial part of it. Right. Is that when my father died, I didn't know how to reach out to people, um, partly because I felt um, insecure about my own depression. So I, I had taught myself not to show weakness. But now I was letting myself be vulnerable. I'm letting people come in and show me love and help me uh, to celebrate a person's life, to celebrate their dreams. We're not talking about their death anymore. We're talking about what made them feel alive. And in that connection with the other person, that was what brought my dad through. And it would always have to be something where it was like the other person and I are both seeing this, you know, like I'm, I'm not just imagining this thing and we're, it's a shared experience. So what, Tell me, how did you correspond with the Pope? Oh, I saved that one really close to the end <laughs> just because I was so nervous about it. Um, you know, I researched it like anything else. I, I had made a friendship with a man who was a safe driving um, advocate. He, he focuses on speeding, actually, and, and kids. And um, he told me he used to work at Boys Town and he almost became a priest at one point. So it was like, as I'm doing the list, I keep making these new friendships. And then it, it occur, it'll like occur to me, pop into my head, oh, that person could probably be helpful. And he told me about a priest in New York uh, who was a Jesuit priest who, who had, uh, you know, he had visits with the Pope sometimes. So I emailed him and uh, he helped, he gave me some advice and then eventually, it was mostly Googling, quite honestly. <laughs> like, I just found out there's an, a, a formal greeting. There's a formal salutation at the end. And, you know, uh, just all of the, the right things that you're supposed to say to send a thoughtful letter to Pope Francis. And that's how I did it. And I was shocked to get a, a response six weeks later. Um, and it wasn't from His Holiness himself. It was from, and that's what he likes to go by, by the way. It's not just him. It's mm. His Holiness. It wasn't from him. It was from one of his assistants. But they always say, basically, he, I think he has four assistants who, like, all what they mostly do is answer his mail and they they represent him. But if it's something where someone's asking for prayers and it's really urgent, then you will get something from him himself. But they consider it to be him if it's one of his assistants. Wow. So I want to I want to ask you about some of these. <laughs> How do you other follow ones? that? <laughs> right. Right. I know. Well, I'm curious about. Um, Owning a, a large house with your own land and having your own tennis court because you talk about having more money than you need. So what, is, <laughs> what does that look like? I mean, you know, looking at the list from the from the get go, it was stuff like that. That just seemed like oh, this is going to be impossible. I don't know how I'm going to do this. But like, one does, of the does things ping pong table count as like tennis court. That's what I ended up doing. That's so funny. You said that because. You know, one of the things I started realizing was as I was, like I said, I was getting really good with failure. And as each list item had its own twists and turns, I was starting to just go with them and just accept them and, and, and recognize maybe what matters more about this list item is what it's teaching me and the experience I'm mm -hmm. having, as opposed to like the exact outcome I think it will be or that mm -hmm. I want. So 
you know, with the tennis, with the tennis court, people joked about that with me for a couple of years, but eventually what ended up happening was the pandemic started. And I don't know if you remember, but in March, 2020, none of us knew if we'd ever leave our houses again. Yeah. I've so... tried to block out those three years. <laughs> too soon. I know. <laughs> but, um, so my husband bought me a ping pong set basically. And at that time I thought, well, this is going to have to do like, if, if I can't, like, we don't know what's going to happen. So maybe this is my tennis court. And we actually did use it. I mean, because we couldn't leave the house. So since we're now stuck inside these four walls, it did become like it was my own tennis court. Uh-huh. And then something similar happened with own a large house. Uh, we couldn't travel anymore. And, you know, traveling was, was what we love and what we had really leaned into with the list for the few years before that. So now that we couldn't travel, we had to figure out a new way to kind of scratch that itch. So what we started doing was camping a lot. And my first time camping was terrifying to me because I had no experience with it. And I thought there were bears coming after us. And by the time we got to the campsite and I watched my husband just kind of like set up this shelter that was going to keep us safe, I recognized, oh, I have the same feeling of if he were building me a large house, you know, like, like I had the, the feeling of it. And the whole world was so scary at that point in time. Mm -hmm. So it was almost like this is safety and this is shelter, you know, and then I, of course I Googled it and like a house is just a shelter. It doesn't have to be a literal, you know, what you imagine it to be. So that's really, and and then he told me the tent he had bought was actually, was like large, like it was for three people. It wasn't for two people. So I thought, okay, well that's large. And then at the start of the pandemic, we ran every single street in our town just because we were bored. And then I thought, oh, well, that's sort of like we owned our town, like we own where we live finally. So that's owning our own mm -hmm. land. So I, I did have some poetic ways that I did things. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, I decided um, whatever served my story of growth and, and what I needed to feel because of the list item mattered more than how literally it was being done. Yeah, I, I it, that's so powerful to think of what's really the meaning behind this. What is the right? What is what is it trying to, what are the feelings it's trying to invoke? Like maybe even kind of channeling, you talked about at points like channeling your dad, like what was the feeling he was trying to invoke from this experience? And what am I learning about myself? So can I ask you about a couple more? Sure, please. Have five songs recorded? Yeah, um, I actually saved that one near the end too, until near the end, because my dad was a singer. And I think uh, I, I just felt like I'm not going to live up to him, to his talent. That was, I mean, he was a writer too. He wrote a book in the seventies, but his, I would say his, his favorite talent would have been his voice. It's what I, I always remember him singing. Um, and eventually what I ended up doing was working with a, a cousin on the, my dad's side of the family, who at that point in time, I had lost touch with most of them and he was a musician and he offered to help me. So I went and I met with him, I don't know, seven times over three years. And we were, he recorded instrumentals. And then I did the vocals of the five songs my dad would sing the most around me as a kid. And it was like, it was so nice because it was a little emotional too, because I was sort of recreating this ritual that my brother and I had with my dad as kids, which was he would record us singing every year. Um, and I think it ended up being quite a beautiful way to end the the list because I don't know, you know, so much of the list was getting to re-experience my father's energy through other people I love and making it feel like he's still very much here. 
But with doing those songs, I ended up just by myself in my closet um, recording them. And it was like just the most private, intimate way. I don't want to say to say goodbye, but to say, see you later. Mm-hmm. You know, and I really felt his presence that he was very much with me, helping me to sing a little bit better. Right. It's so beautiful. I mean, these are it's so meaningful. Two more. Sing at my daughter's wedding and dance at my grandchildren's wedding. I know. Isn't that heartbreaking that those are the last two? He thought he would live long enough for those things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the way we did those, uh, I had... So my husband and I um, decided the way we would honor my dad's presence at our wedding, which had happened six months before we found the list, was by serving this bottle of wine that my dad put aside the year I was born. Um, And he actually was a a liquor distributor at that time. Mm. So he went out to Robert Mondavi and he brought back this wine. It was like a Cabernet and he wrote on it. Uh, the finest wine America has made open on Lars wedding day. So there was like this running debate of, you know, is it still any good? Because <laughs> it had been 38 years, you know, um, and it ended up being the best wine I'd ever tasted. And, and I felt like it was like our bellies were singing when we all drank this wine. So that's like my dad was, that was his song mm. was that wine that we're now all, you know, it makes me very emotional every time I tell that story yeah. because it was, he was there, he was in all of us, you know? Um, and I really struggled with how I would do dance at my grandchildren's weddings. And I, and I knew it had to be related. It had to be connected somehow to that first ritual. So what I ended up doing was I bought a 2018 version of that 1974 bottle from the same vineyard. And it's, it's known to be like the best Cabernet America has made right now, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. as it turned out, he was right about that first one. It actually won the judgment of Paris in that vineyard. It beat the French wines for the first time ever. So it, wow. it truly was the best wine America had ever made. So what I'm doing now is I'm putting aside that wine. I'm going to try not to cry about this. And I'm going to see her next week too. I'm putting aside that wine for my my uh, my niece, my only niece's wedding. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, and she was the flower girl at our wedding. I mean, the connections, the synchronicities, all of it is is incredible. How do you feel like going through this list? What do you feel like it taught you about how? you should live your life, but also what messages can we take away in terms of how we all can live our lives? The word that's, or the phrase that's going through my head right now is let go. It's going Mm. through my head over and over. And I've learned to listen if something comes through in an urgent way, because I think that that's maybe my dad and maybe even more than my dad trying to, trying to connect, trying to communicate something. And you know, an experience I kept having throughout doing this project was he wanted me to know that being alive is a gift. Um, This is not an arduous ordeal. That's not to say it's all good. There's a lot of crappy stuff that we go through while being alive, but we have the choice of how we react to what's happening. And and we have the choice of what we do with what we've been given and, and, and how we connect with other people. So I just began to vow to myself, which is really important. You have to get good at making vows to yourself if you're going to do this. 
I started vowing to myself that for the rest of my life, I was going to focus on letting go of what doesn't matter and using all the energy I had to give of myself to other people and to just stop caring, stop caring whether like, how do I measure up with someone else with these earthly accomplishments? Mm -hmm. So that's what I meant when I said um, in the subtitle of the book, how living my dad's dream set me free. Because I mean, life is, it's meant to be a dream. It's meant to be, you know, your spirit is having a human experience. You can do it, like as Oprah always says, you can do whatever you want with it. Why not do compassionate things? Right, right. What, do you have a bucket list? Yeah. What's on your bucket? I mean, you've accomplished a lot here. Thank you. You want to do a bucket list. What's on your bucket list? Um, I have a hundred items on it now. Oh it just gosh. keeps getting longer. I've checked off 20. Um, just even while doing my dad's because sometimes they were in the same places. Um, and Did you have a bucket list before you discovered his oh, no. bucket list? Okay. No, I just thought it was a movie with Morgan Freeman. <laughs> I didn't know what they were. Um, and uh, a lot of it is hiking. A lot of it is races because I'm a runner. A lot of it is travel. You know, I, the best way I can explain my bucket list is I do have some genuine career goals on there and, and family goals, which are, you know, it's a to-do list. It's not just these are thrills I want to have, but also I do want to have this experience of gratitude and wonder and awe, mm. um, all that the world has to offer with that. So, so a lot of it is pursuing things like seeing the Sistine Chapel or seeing a volcano or you know, just these experiences that really remind you how lucky you are to be alive. It's amazing. Laura, if people are interested in your work, in your new book, My Father's List, can you tell us where we can find you? Yeah, uh, my website's bylaracarney.com. Uh, you can find out what I've been doing on there. You can buy the book on there. Um, and if you want to follow, um, I do updates on Instagram mostly, and that's my father's list, but really, um, my father's list everywhere, except for Twitter, where I am LAC 30. Are you on threads yet? Yes. And I don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> Are you? I am, but I'm like not a great poster, so I like start <laughs> something with gusto and then I fall off pretty quickly. So I am on it. I am trying, but podcasting is really my like, it's my sweet spot for where I'm like the most comfortable and can, I think I'm like the, the most authentic version of me. Mm -hmm. Everything else feels like a little bit performative, so yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> That's a struggle. That's the struggle. <laughs> well, Laura, thank you so much for your time today. And everything will be listed in the show notes for people to go find you, to read your book, to find out about your bucket list, your dad's bucket list, and to be inspired, I think, to write their own bucket list. If for nothing more, to, I think it really kind of helps to frame a life in some way and to give people, things to think about, things to look forward to, things to really live for. So thank you so much for inspiring us with your dad's bucket list and how it inspired you. No, thank you so much for having me. This is really an honor talking to you. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. 
Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 